Good morning, everybody. Hope you're well. Oh, sort of. <laughs> so here we are on the last, well, the last weekend before Valentine's Day. A little hint for you men, and a hint for myself, as Katie, I can see her looking at me. Um, but also the, the last weekend, um, the last of, this is a, always a problem sharing a podium with the tallest guy in the church when you are the shortest guy. And here we go, that's better. <clears throat> so here we are on, on the last weekend of our Haggai series as we've been looking over these past sort of five or sort of six weeks. Um, and I'll just be speaking on these final three little verses of Haggai, looking at the two choices that are described here. Before we start, as usual, let's just, let's just pray together. Let's pray. Lord, we know that unless your spirit is here, the words that I speak or the words that are heard will just bounce off. They won't settle into our hearts, and so we pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, we need you. And we need you particularly so that your word will be made alive to us. Lord, speak, because your servants are listening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. On April 25th, 2015, a, a massive earthquake hit Nepal, and it hit all parts of Nepal, but it particularly hit a place called the Langtang Valley in uh, Nepal, and it was a huge earthquake, magnitude 7.8, and, and it, um, <clears throat> in this valley, the earthquake generated a a massive wind of over 300 kilometers per hour that whizzed down this valley and smashed and shattered everything in its path. All the houses, all the, the uh, forests, totally, totally destroyed. Nothing in its path could have survived. The earthquake also shook free 15 tons of ice and rock that came crashing down into this valley. And where those villages of the Langtang Valley were, now if, if you go to them, over 60 tons of rock cover them all. And they are just um, you know, 60 sort of meters deep of, of rock and stone. It's um, you know, effectively a, a sort of mass grave. People um, just pile up, um, um, they have prayer flags and, and, and they put up um, stones where, where their loved ones used to, to, to actually live there. Everybody in this valley has lost somebody to this monstrous landslide. And every single house in this valley disappeared, destroyed, swept away. Every single house, every single house apart from one. Only one house in the whole Langtang Valley survived and it was this one and it only survived because it was built into the rock into the in, into the mountain itself it was the only house in the whole valley that survived because it was a house that was built on the rock and this is our last talk in this series on on Haggai that we've been following these five or six weeks in church looking at this these messages of this inconspicuous little prophet who had a tiny five-month ministry to God's people. And Haggai has spent his time challenging God's people, urging them to focus on the things of God 
reminding them that blessing follows full commitment. And then he encouraged them to look beyond this ragged new temple that was being built, saying to them that the glory of this new temple, which looked like nothing, would be way, way more than the amazing first temple which stood there before. And in fact, no one knew this, but 500 years from that very point, the Messiah of our world would be stepping through those temple doors and preaching there. And then he reminded them that they could not put their hope in their own holiness or even this temple emerging, but only in the grace of God. And then he gives this final message on December 18, 520 BC. And this time he doesn't look around him touching what is happening, but he looks forward and sees what is coming. And he tells them an earthquake is coming. And this final message of Haggai is what is called eschatology by some scholars. It basically means the end times. And dotted throughout the Old Testament prophets, and particularly with Jesus and the uh, Apostle Paul, these writers and prophets suddenly lift their gaze to what is happening around them and see what is coming in future. And this is one of those times, and in this final message, God tells Haggai, tell the governor of Judah, in the end times, I'm going to send an earthquake. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and shatter foreign kingdoms. I'm going to overthrow chariots and the drivers and and horses and riders. It's all going, he says. You must know, God says, that one day it's all going. All that stuff that isn't God's, it's all going. All those careful plans that, that we make for a safe and secure future, it's all going. The edifice we actually create of a world that doesn't need God is all going. All those foundations that we are carefully building, the stock market, the banks which sit on billions of worth of capital, the, the, the insurance and savings and pensions and all the trappings of civilization, it's all going. The $2.24 trillion that the world spent on military spending in 2022, all the armies, all the technology, all the power, it's all going. A time is coming when the Gorka earthquake is going to rip through the valley and it's all going. The only thing that will survive will be the house that is built on the rock. And there is an earthquake coming which God says he's going to send. But we know that before the end of all things there are earthquakes that happen in life which he hasn't sent but are because of our fallen world. And the earthquake of a sudden diagnosis of cancer, the earthquake of an unraveling marriage that you thought was secure, the earthquakes of redundancy, of, of financial strife, of sickness, of relationship breakdown. And you know, it's sometimes only in the earthquake where we realize where our foundations lie, where we discover if the house is built on the right foundation, And in the middle of the earthquake, it's too late to relocate. It's too late to build the foundations in the right place. Do it now, says God. Do it now. And of course, Jesus gave a similar uh, message using a different natural disaster, not an earthquake, but a flood. And he tells a really well-known story that we all know of two people who build houses in different places. One who builds it on a floodplain, basically on sand, and one who builds it on the rock, basically on the, on the uh, in a mountain and the sudden flood arrives a sudden flood of crisis and challenge and pain and difficulty and trial and the house with the sandy foundation is flattened and the house that's on the rock 
it, uh, it withstands it all. And these houses probably didn't look very different to each other. Both of them had four walls and a roof. Uh, you know, withstanding a flood and an earthquake wasn't about the house, it was about the foundation. And this message of Haggai and Jesus and countless other prophets in between is hold loosely to those perishable things of life. They, they uh, you know, provide an illusion of security, of sustenance. They are alluring to us, all of us. They seem tangible and safe. They promise protection, but they are sand underfoot. They will not help you at all when the flood comes. They will not keep you at all when the earthquake strikes. The only safe foundation for an uncertain future is for your house to be built on the rock. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley, who was once the Bishop of Oxford, was um, burned at the stake in Oxford because of his beliefs, beliefs which all of us in this room would hold today, not, not controversial beliefs. On, on the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to spend the sort of night with him to offer him sort of comfort and assistance, but Ridley turned it down, declined his offer. He said he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in life. He said, because I know the peace of God, I can rest in the strength of my Lord to meet my need. And you must know these... Um, experiences, executions were horrible. They were so brutal that people watching would faint and become hysterical just by watching them. They were so utterly terrible. How could he face such a horrendous experience in that way? Because his house was built on the rock. He was burnt at the stake alongside a guy called Hugh Latimer a fellow bishop who shared his views. And as the flames were kindled, as they, faced, they knew they faced pain and torture and a bitter end, Latimer turned to Ridley and apparently said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace as shall never be extinguished. How could he face such a horrendous experience that way? Because his house was built on the rock. <coughs> Corrie and Betsy Ten Boom, Dutch sisters that were interned in the Ravensbrück concentration camp by the Nazis, and both sisters suffered horribly, terribly in that camp, beaten, uh, raped, brutalized. And Betsy died actually in that camp. And as she lay dying in that concentration camp, Betsy turned to her sister Corrie next to her and she said, we must tell them that there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corrie, because we have been there. How could she speak in such a way? Because her house was built on the rock. All the stuff we build our houses on that are not God, they will not help you at all when the flood comes. They will not keep you at all when the earthquake strikes. The only safe foundation for an uncertain future is for your house to be built on the rock. And Haggai's final message to this governor of Judah has two parts. And the first part of this message was God saying, I want you to choose me. 
Prioritize me. I'm not asking you this for my sake, says God. It's for your sake. When you prioritize me, you will always be blessed. It's not always material blessing, although sometimes it is. It's not exclusion from pain and trial. It's not, it's not always physical um, um, you know, healing, although sometimes it is. But always blessing. As that psalmist says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Build your house on the rock, my friends. Build it on the rock. And the final part, the first part of this final message was God saying, choose me. And, and the second part is God saying, I choose you. Because don't forget this entire uh, ministry of Haggai covered five months in 520 BC. He brought four messages. One in August 29, one in October 17, and then two messages on the same day, on December 18. And the first message is to all of God's people, which Ben spoke about last week. But this final message is to one man only, the governor of Judah. And Haggai goes to his house and says, I've got a word of God uh, um, for you. It's in two parts. Firstly, choose me. Build your house on a rock because an earthquake is coming. Build it on the rock. And secondly, you must hear this. I choose you. And how God says this is absolutely remarkable because he calls this governor of Judah. He says, you'll be my signet ring. And the signet ring is is a sign of kingship, of David's kingship, no less. And it's reversing the the curse of Jeremiah 22 when God said through his prophet Jeremiah that he's removing this signet ring from that current king, uh, King Jehoiachin, who is going into exile. He's not worthy anymore. But this signet ring, this, this sign of God's favor, the sign of the kingship of David that God promised would last you know, forever has now landed on this governor of Judah. And it's a remarkable moment. But here's the big problem. He's not a king. He's, he's nowhere near a king. He happens to be from the bloodline of David. That was many generations ago. He's definitely not a king. He happens to be a governor of one of the smallest provinces of the massive Persian Empire, the, as a governor of a ragtag backwater, a, a bunch of small battered people. That's all who he is. And if you scan the earth to, to, to find the important people, relevant people, you know, people who had the biggest social media presence, who took up most of the column inches, who, who are the, those who are clever or important or gifted or beautiful or charismatic. This guy is not it. Nowhere near it. And yet God says, I choose you. And this is the wonder of the king of the universe, the king of glory, whose throne room is full of angels, legions of them, praising his name. And he looks down on earth and he seeks out people who he's going to choose. He's got a massive pile of people. But he doesn't look at the very top. He goes to the very bottom. He pushes aside those who, who, who are great and powerful and, and important. And he goes to the bottom of this pile and he says, you're the one I want. I choose you. Story is told of a famous conductor, Sir Michael Costa, who was, um, you know, one day leading an orchestra in practice. And as this mighty chorus rang out of hundreds of different instruments, suddenly this great conductor he stopped the whole show and he shouted out over these hundreds of people. He said, "Where is the piccolo?" Because apparently that piccolo player had stopped playing his part, and he said later he stopped because he, you know, he didn't think it mattered. He had a tiny part. And it was only a practice. And yet the master knew something was missing. 
And there are people all over the, the church who think they are too small and too ordinary and too easily overlooked and won't be missed. And therefore they stop playing their part or have never picked up their instrument and ever played it before. And God who's putting this great symphony together of hundreds of different instruments, he stops the whole show and he says, where is the piccolo? Where is that person overlooked by many, disregarded by others, who I have chosen to be a vital part of my plan of transformation and hope and good news? Where is the piccolo? I choose you. Whatever people have said about you, whatever you have said about yourself, God is speaking a different language. You're not too small. You're not too ungifted. You're not too ordinary. You're not too old. Not too tired. God says, I choose you. In the great symphony that I'm putting together, I need all the instruments. I need you. I have chosen you. So listen, as we end, as we end not just today, but our whole series, let me just say this. These final three verses of Haggai offer up two choices to us. The first choice is at the heart of this book of Haggai, the heart of his prophecy and ministry and passion, and that is to make God and the things of God your priority in life. The foundation of your life, the rock in which all things are built, to hold loosely to the perishable things of this world. Sometimes, you know what, to give them up. You only know how tightly you're holding on by how easy you can give them up. They will never support you anyway when the storm and the flood and the earthquake come. And if you are going through a storm at this moment, if your life feels like an earthquake, I think God would have you remember, if you have made him the foundation of your life, you are sitting on a rock. You will not be shaken. You will not be overcome. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. God says, here's the first choice. Choose me. Choose me. And here's the second choice. I choose you. I choose you despite your flaws and your sins and your weakness and those things that you hide away from everyone else. And despite your perceived lack of profile or gifts or strength or importance, despite all of that, I know all of that, he says, I know that. Nothing is hidden from me, but despite that, 